For the last few weeks, we've been considering evil and Satan and their influence over our lives, how we can overcome that, how we can stay close to God and be patient with all that's happening. And we come this Sunday to a most unusual story, the story of Job. This story touches us in a lot of ways. Many people like to ignore it, but all of us should read it, every word of it, and understand the relationship there, not just between Job and his three friends, but the relationship that God has with Satan. God is still going to judge Satan, and he knows he will be judged. Therefore, he works swiftly. Job was a wealthy man. He was described as blameless, upright, he feared God, and he shunned evil. We've looked at many lives, and last week we looked at the 52nd Psalm where David just basically wanted to express his anger and frustration over a man named Doeg the Edomite who in wanting to please the king, who was David's father-in-law, Saul, he told lies, half-truths, and then he assisted in the murder of 85 of the sacred priests that served there. Stories in 1 Samuel 21 and 22, and it's one that shows the horrible act of a man who, because of his own pride and his desire to be looked upon well by the king, did horrible things. He also pushed the king deeper into his own paranoia, which, as you know, led to his death. But today we're looking at Job and the story of Job. And in the first chapter, I passed over that because that's when Satan first goes up and the angels are appearing before God. And they're appearing before him because God is the ruler, looks over them just like a general would look over his troops. And Satan appeared. Now, Satan has sinned and fallen. Many people say, how did Satan get into heaven? Well, he walked in. That was his dwelling place. And he appeared for really one reason. And it's one of the names of Satan that I fear the most. For Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And he appears in heaven to accuse. And that's exactly what he does. The angels and Satan are there and they present themselves. And and, and the word present there that's used in the Hebrew, like I said, gives the idea of requiring an attention like a soldier would before his commanding officer. And Satan's not there to be examined. They already know what he's made of, but he's there to basically throw out these claims and God asked him something that is almost intimidating to us even now. He said, where have you been, Satan? He said, I've been up and down and to and fro about the earth. You ever felt like someone was watching you at night and you were fearful? Have you ever felt the presence of evil around you? You know, we know there's evil in the world. And uh, 
is, is very so proficiently prayed for all of us. We don't know what this week holds, but we know who holds this week. And we're trusting and praying that God will, will protect those who need to be protected because we know that at the point where we exist now, we are, we are further away from the truth that founded America than we've ever been before. But you know what's amazing? Greater is he that is within you than he that is within the world. And I'll say it another way. Greater is he that is within you than he that is within Washington, D.C. He will protect us through this, and I'm so thankful for that. Satan was, was questioned again, God, about this whole thing with, with, with Job. He had already tested Job by killing all of his children. Everything that he had had been taken away from him. And, and, and the Lord challenged Satan again, and he said, Look, you can touch him, you just can't kill him. But he will still be faithful. The expression that Satan uses there is an ancient one. Skin for skin, meaning compare what's real. He said, if you take away his life, he, he'll run. He, he, he will do anything to preserve his own life. But again, Satan in his blind sinfulness, in, in ignorance, because he has so much pride, he's lost his understanding of truth. He forgot that our real life doesn't exist in this world, does it? It's in the next world. It's in heaven. And because of that, we understand that whatever happens to us in this world, you know, that's okay. We will spend eternity in heaven. Therefore, we're not fearful of that. But Satan challenges God with this. And, and, and Satan's been around humans a long time. He he no doubt observed our creation. He roams the earth observing people all the time. Satan knows a lot about human nature and he knows the fallen nature of mankind and where it can go. And he's wonderful at tempting us and leading us astray. But Satan thought he knew how Job would respond against God, and he was wrong. But God knew that Job would not sin. Remember this, God is omniscient, Satan is not. He only knows so much. He knows more than we do. But he doesn't know everything. God allows Satan to afflict Job with painful sores from head to toe. God allowed it. He didn't cause it. He allowed it. When pain comes into your life and, and trials and frustrations and anxieties, it's not caused by the hand of God. But when we are accused by Satan, God will allow certain things to happen. There's a reason why when we pray, we say, for God to deliver us from evil. What that means is, Pull the hedge up, God, and protect us from the evil one. For we know he's seeking to devour us. And we are weak. And we don't want to have to go before that temptation. We all read the story of Job, and it terrifies us. But Job humbled himself 
through all that he went through. And he, and he tried his best to, to get through that disease. Now, here's what's so strange about it. Job's wife. <coughs> God didn't take Job's wife away. And yet, she's the one that argued with him. And she said, so you're still maintaining your integrity? You still feel, because in her mind's eye, it was like many people today, even Christians, that she was thinking, well, what you'll do is God will te- uh, Satan will test you a little bit and God will allow it, and then suddenly you'll be brought back from that and rewarded. And that didn't happen because that wasn't God's intention. <coughs> she did not understand, like many people don't understand, what God is doing in our life. Remember this. From the moment you accept Jesus as your Savior and Lord, God has already made a plan for you from that point, wherever that might be in your life, until eternity, that you will be the person that He wants you to be in eternity because ultimate glorification and being in the presence of God is what it's all about. And God tells us that that's his plan. And Job understands that even though not a word had been written about that. He knew that that God desired to get us to heaven and eventually remake what's broken in this world. But Job's wife didn't understand that. She said, you need to curse God and die. That's a very condescending thing for somebody to say to someone that's their life partner, their, their, their spouse. You know, at the time when somebody's hurting, you, you don't knock them down. You encourage them. You let them know. In fact, one of the early church fathers, uh, John Christotham, said this. He said, I believe the reason that the devil left the wife unscathed in chapter 1, is because he knew she was on his side and would do some of his work in chapter 2. And she did. She criticized her husband. In fact, in some ways, she was probably more of a punisher than Satan. Nothing hurts more deeply than when someone you love express, will express to you that they don't love you. Now, there are three important things I want you to see in this before we get on to these three pseudo-friends that Job had and the one real friend that he had. Number one, understand this. Suggesting to people to sin against God is foolish. We're to encourage people to stand strong. Accept all that God allows. That's exactly what Job said. Job said, is God supposed to just send us good and, 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 and not difficult times? Both happen. Do you think God is going to take away the problems in this life after all? And I've said this a million times. We live in a broken world. And what's sad is we did the breaking. And yet many people complain about how the broken world hurts us. Yet we caused it. Our sin caused it. But then lastly, realize this. In spite of of losing much and having a painful disease, Job did not sin. He continued to love and trust God. He knew that the storm was bad and it would get worse, but he also knew that God was faithful and would remain faithful to him. 
there's so many things to apply to our lives from this passage. And I encourage you to review and think about this passage beyond today. Read it on your own and let God speak to you because you, at some point in your life, have been Job or will be Job or right now you are Job. And you're going through one of those struggles. Let's always note that the devil, Satan is allowed by God to roam in this earth because after all, he took this world over when he caused creation to fall in the garden. It's his for a time. Yet we have everything we need to resist him and to get away from him. Yet unfortunately, so many people stand around playing with sin within eyeshot of the devil ignoring the fact that we will eventually destroy ourselves. It says to be alert and of a sober mind, says your enemy the devil prowls, ar- prowls around like a Roman li- uh, roaming lion looking for someone to devour. That's in 1 Peter. And that's the reality. Satan is not off in Washington, D.C. <laughs> or Hollywood. He's got them. He's hanging around churches. I remember a a great evangelist years ago, Peter Lord, said he claimed something, then he moves on to something that he hasn't claimed, and he said, and his attention is on the church. If he can have an influence in the church, if he can cause the church to harm itself or to be harmed, then he can change the effectiveness of the body of Christ. That happened years ago with some TV preachers. And we've been reeling from that for years. That's why I believe that, that not only did, did Christ found the church, you know what he founded? He founded the local church for us to work and build the body of Christ. And in between, there is not a church that's on the air that meets everybody's needs. I told a lady years ago in my church in Atlanta, she gave a lot of money to one of the TV preachers. A lot of money. Didn't give anything to, to our church, but gave a lot of money then because they constantly called her and told her they needed it. And I wanted so badly when she went in the hospital to, to call her son and say, I'd love to go see her, but why doesn't she call so-and-so that she sends all her money to It was Jimmy Swaggart, by the way. I said, why doesn't she call him? But I didn't do that. You know why? Because I've got to love her. And you know, amazingly, through her cancer at 91 years of age and her being cured of that cancer three years later, her heart was turned and changed, not by anything I said, but by the Holy Spirit. She told us that while she was there, she had the television on one day listening to a program And then she suddenly realized, you know who really loves me? My church. They're here. She said, these people call me and want money. And when I told them, well, I can't write a check right now. I'm in the hospital. Guess who quit calling? God founded the local church for us to do ministry. And not just for ministry to be done, you know, out out of this building but through our members. You all are called to ministry, to serve. 
And you do it well in your own place. Now, one person can't do everything. And we will not always be able to do that. God gives you spiritual gifts and you should use them. But it's important for us to understand what God has called us to do. Now, I want to think about friendship for a little while because that's what we're looking at today. These three friends. And and there are three truths first I want you to know about friendship. Number one, good advice has a greater value than rubies. And we need advice from time to time. But not unsolicited advice. We've all been in that situation where we've spoken up and given somebody advice when they didn't ask for it. And we realize right away that we should have said nothing at all. Bildad, Zophar, and Eliphaz started out right. They just sat and cried, and they were there with their friend. But sometimes we're too quick to give advice. And, and, you know, remember, we're all human. We're all failing in life without Jesus Christ. And advice is not something that we need to often give unless it's requested. Secondly, I want you to realize this. Job's comforters did not comfort him. They drove him away from the truth and toward doubt. He held on to God and he never wavered from his faithfulness, but they pushed him in the arena of doubt. And that is not what a friend is to do. Eliphaz spoke from a viewpoint of experience. Experience is good, but my experience is not your experience, nor is it anybody else's. It's individualistic. And because of that, I can't say that my experience will have an impact on you. What I am to say is, thus saith the Lord, and to point you toward God, not toward my experience. We do a horrible thing in, in school. and In fact, Terry, you told me the other day that you didn't do that for a reason, and the same reason. We all grew up with show and tell where you'd bring something to school and you'd show and tell your story of it. And somehow that's lapsed over into our adult life because when somebody comes and shares with us a problem or a burden in their life or sickness or sadness that is there, what do we do? We'll say, oh, that's bad, but you ought to hear what happened to my cousin the other day that lives over in Mississippi. They they didn't share their problem with you because of that. Let me, let me say the correct answer when somebody shares a burden is, I will pray for you. Is there anything else I can do for you? I'll be here. It's just like when someone dies and we go to the funeral. Most folks don't know what to say to the widow or widower standing by the casket. And they usually say the wrong thing. They'll say, how are you? <laughs> Please don't say that to somebody who just lost their loved one. Because they're in a place they've never been before and the pain is, is insurmountable without the grace of God. Don't focus on that. Hug their neck and tell them you love them and you're here for them and then go. We need to do that as brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to encourage. See, Bildad, Zopar, and Eliphaz did not set out to make themselves failures before Job. They'd been his friends for many years. They, they still loved him. Amazingly, at the end of the book of Job, do you know what it tells us? It says that these three men have not spoken that which of God was of God. They didn't share anything that God had given to them. They, They shared their own opinion. 
Bildad, on the other hand, spoke from a viewpoint of tradition. He's one of those people that when you're sick, they'll say, well, you know, my, my, my grandma had a poultice that would fix that. And he would talk about the past. And that's where he went because he was depending on what was behind him to guide him toward what was in front of him. And sometimes that simply isn't correct. I had a 95-year-old preacher in my church in Atlanta, and somebody said something about the good old days, and I'll never forget, Dr. Woody says, you know why we call them the good old days? Because the painful things and the hurtful things we forget, and we only remember the good things. And he said, you know what? When I try to use the word good old days, I remember the fact that we had a well, an outhouse, and a chicken house, and those three things did not make it the good old days. He said, I like microwaves, microwaves, refrigerators, and indoor plumbing a lot. Now, I, you know, I listened to that man, and he changed how I focus on things. Because in retrospect, there are a lot of things that, that we are sentimentally attached to. But let's be thankful for what God has given us as we go forward. There was a day when, I guess it was around probably when Henry Lyon was here, that this sanctuary was illuminated. If you'll look very carefully, these beams that go up here past those lanterns there, you can see little round circles about this big around. And you know what used to be there? Light bulbs, big long ones, about that, that big. They had a man in the church that would literally, he was a, a janitor, he would shinny up that, the upper side of that post and change those bulbs. You will never get me to do something like that. I don't even want to go up there on a ladder. I saw Doug Horton up here on a fireman's ladder being held by four of his friends with ropes, and he grabbed one of the, not these bulbs, the great big spotlights. Harold, you remember those when we were taking he grabbed one, and it was red hot. And I'll never forget telling Doug, I said, Doug, I know you're a good Christian because you didn't say a single cuss word when you burned. I could hear his skin sizzling, and he grabbed that. But there used to be light bulbs that went up there. And in the summer when it was hot in here, every once in a while, one of those would explode, and they said it looked like snow fluttering down. No, we don't want to go back to the good old days. I like it the way it is. I like those compact LED lights that uh, the committee worked so hard to get. We, they had compact fluorescence, and they were just coming out with the compact LEDs that you could dim, and we were patient, and our building committees got those in, and I am so thankful that I live now and not back in the 30s. God has a way of reminding us as we move forward how to appreciate what we have. But Zophar, Zophar speaks from a viewpoint of his own assumptions. Now, I'm sorry that the word assume is there because we all understand from a humanistic point we don't need to assume anything. Human assumption is, is frail and it's failed in every way. And we need to be careful what we assume about anybody. Now, here's what I want to think about very quickly. How do you succeed as a friend to someone that is suffering? How do you become the friend that you should be? It's very simple. Learn to cry with them. Learn to be there for them. Learn to listen to them. Find a way to minister to them. Certainly pray for them and know when to walk away and leave them alone. 
There's a big portion of grieving that must happen alone. But also remember this, when you lose a loved one, whether it's a spouse or a child or a parent or grandparent, there is no calendar for grieving. Some people grieve in different ways. I remember a woman once that got a job after her husband passed, and she had been retired for some years. I didn't need her to tell me why she got that job. She did not want to sit in that house in the dark and mourn the passing of her husband forever. Some people deal with death of a loved one by emptying their closet out and taking everything out that reminds them of them because it hurts too much. Other people leave it almost as a museum. But that's up to them. How they grieve is okay. The way you grieve through the loss of someone is not the way someone else will. Do not be judgmental of that. As a friend, you need to be there. Cry with them. Stand by them. Listen to them. Minister to them. Pray for them. And then leave them. And let them go through that. Secondly, we need to realize this. Human friendship gives us the opportunity to minister to someone in God's stead. So we're not there doing our business as we would do it. We're ministering to them as God would minister to them. I've heard many wonderful stories about romances that were so special. And you can get attached in a relationship that will cling to you the rest of your life. But we need to be there for people when they go through that storm of life and love them and minister to them. No one knew the outcome of Job's situation. Everyone thought after the first testing of Satan that surely things would get better. But it got worse. And the one, the one person, his spouse, that, that he felt would be there for him, she wasn't there. And yet these three friends were there, and through the whole body of the writing of Job, they go back and forth with him, trying to question if he's done something wrong, or if he's misunderstood God, or if he's walked away and sinned privately and, and wouldn't admit it. They absolutely grilled him. They were not friends. They were investigating him and trying to break him. And yet their intention was good. The main thing we need to understand is what Job said. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? We've been through a pandemic for, for a year now. Most of a year. And we've struggled with it. And, and when will it end? We don't know. And just about the time people felt, well, it's getting better, it gets horribly worse. But what we need to learn from that is that we need to draw close together within six feet. I don't mean draw close together in, in distance like that, but our hearts need to be together. We need to pray for one another. We need to support and encourage one another. If someone is going through a struggle alone, please let them know you love them. 
And God has a way of working in our life. You know, Job did not sin, and what he went through was a testing of the evil one, and he stood the test. But we need to ask God to deliver us from evil and save us from that temptation. You know, there's a situation in life that we can get into, and the example is given by David the Good Shepherd. When a sheep, a small lamb, would roam away from the fold as they were out grazing, the shepherd knew that somewhere out in the distance, in the brambles and in the brush, there were predators watching the fold. David, as a young man, killed some animals that we wouldn't even want to face with a high-powered gun. And he faced them and he protected his flock. But he knew that, that they were out there waiting to harm them. And he knew that the lamb that would wander away was the one that would die. And rather than allow it to die, he would do something that seems almost horrible. He would break one of the back legs of this little lamb... He'd break it, and then he would mend it, and then he would carry the lamb with him wherever he would go. And as he would do that, see the picture? As he would do that, the lamb would endear itself to the good shepherd, and when put down and given the opportunity, it would wander away. Now, God didn't do that to Job. Job got well. But sometimes in sin, when we tend to wander away, God will protect us. Because He has a plan for us that's greater than anything we could ever imagine. Job lived a life that is expressed in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9. Humble yourself before God and do the best that you can to alleviate the problems. Remember that Jesus basically said in John 9, I mean Matthew 9, 12 and 13, he said, there's a need for physicians for those who are physically sick, but you need to humble yourself before God for him to heal you. Be careful who you befriend. You see, there was one last friend that Job had. And we forget about him. His name was Elihu. Elihu was a young man, and his three older friends overlooked him because he was young and inexperienced. Youth does not mean that you're inexperienced. I remember talking to Henry Lyon one day when he and Sarah Jane came by here, and I always loved my time that I got to spend with Henry. He wanted to go in the, uh, the room across the, uh, the street uh, in, in Kathleen Mallory parlor there and look, we have a, a, a big cabinet full of uh, historical items and there is in there a picture of Henry and Sarah Jane when they came here in 1965 and I'll never forget Sarah Jane said, Henry, look at that. You had hair back then. But Henry told me of stories of difficulties that he went through. And he said, I, I, I figured out that you have to be very careful when you make a judgment call on somebody's life. You have to be careful when they ask your advice. 
And he told me, you know, he was 29 years old when he came to this church. Can you imagine that? 29 years. Of course, Henry Lyon at 29 was like 59 for an average preacher. Or he had a life full of being with some of the greatest preachers in Southern Baptist Convention. His father, his uncle, and other family members that ministered. But Henry said this. He said, I never get, give quick advice to a difficult situation. I try to pray first and then come back to them. Because he said, the advice I give may cause them to take a turn in the wrong direction of life. And he said, I don't want to lose one person that God's entrusted me with. What wise words. Pick your friends carefully. Understand that those who you open your heart to and you listen to are a part of your life, more so than you can imagine. Spend time with them. Pray with them. Listen to their heart because in listening to their heart, you'll find out how close they are to God. And the person that you consider a friend that you think is mentoring you, you're really mentoring them. Because there's a relationship back and forth that is so powerful and so important and so significant. Because remember, we're in this thing together called life. And as we go forward, we're being judged for everything we do. Especially where our mind wanders. Therefore, let's seek out friends that can give us encouraging words and can pray with us and can stand by us in the storm and won't run away because God has given to us a heart of service but he's also given to us the greatest friend we'll ever have in the Holy Spirit may we trust him and may we not be beguiled by the evil one to go away from that which is true let us pray Father I thank you so much that you bless us in your word even with the story of the evil one as he is tempting Job, we learn from that that we must be careful who we listen to and who we trust because, Lord, our situation is not theirs and we therefore need to cling to you and you alone. Father, help us to be faithful to you in what we do. And let us understand the importance of, of being obedient and following you, but also being very careful what we listen to. May our ears be attuned to your Holy Spirit more than anything else. And by that, may we grow. Lord, speak to someone this morning who's in their heart of hearts, they want to be faithful to you. And they've got a decision to make. And whether that decision is for salvation or to recommit their life to you, or even to join this church or be baptized. Lord, speak to them and give them the purposeful, plain understanding of what you would have them to do. And Lord, we trust you for that. For we pray this in your holy name, Lord. Amen.